Okay, Destined for Discipleship is our series. Um, if you would, um, just pull up the pillar definitions there, the pillar definitions. I want to talk about um, a couple of the pillar definitions about this. And really, the first one is not the one I want to talk to you about <coughs> um, today, but the, the middle and the last one. Discipleship, um, we talk about discipleship. We're talking about principle-driven teaching and instruction designed to empower you for life and for eternity. We're working to give you information that you need to make how you live on earth good and how you experience eternity even better. Amen? So if it's really um, discipleship with the word of God, your life in the here and now should be better because of it, and your life in the hereafter should be immensely better because of what we've done here. And then the last point there says that disciples are the man of God. We believe in the process of patterning our life after spiritual leaders who are authentic representatives of their faith. Now, that one is part of our confession, but today you know, in this series, we're not talking about how you, you know, follow me as your pastor and so on. What I'm really talking to you about how you pattern your life after Jesus. Because if, if any person is an authentic representative of the faith, it's because they're patterning their life after Jesus and have the fruit of that in their own life. Or as the Apostle Paul said it this way, follow me as I follow Christ. Okay. All right. Um, now, I gave you some key definitions on disciple. Find that for me, media team. And I talked about the Greek word methetes as the word for disciple um, and how important that was. That disciple is, it's methetes, which is the same root as we get the word math um, and the word methano there. Uh, Matheo means to learn. But you know, learning math is not, you know, learning math is very precise. Either the answer is right or it isn't. And uh, you can, if you start, if you start the problem wrong, you won't end right. Okay. In other words, if you had an error at the top of your problem, when you get down to the bottom, that error has propagated. It, it has continued to grow worse and worse. So discipleship is that kind of thing. It's one of the reasons why we're spending so much time in our foundations class talking about the foundations of the faith. We want you to have, we want you to start your problems right. Because if you start right, you have a better chance of finishing right. So that's why those foundational things are so important. The, the, Show my acrostic definition. A disciple is a dedicated, inspired student because you can be in school but not dedicated or inspired about it. <laughs> uh, that is committed to integrating principles for living in excellence. You're, you're not just there learning stuff so that you can have book knowledge that you can put a certificate. Like we gave you certificates. But if all you got out of the class that we've taken thus far is the certificate, you're not there yet. The purpose of learning those things 
is so that you can integrate them into your life. The word integrate um, and integral or integrity all go together. Same as integer for my math students. Integer means it's a whole number. Can I get an amen from my young students in the house? Okay. Yeah, okay. And what does that mean? That means you don't give God a fractional part of yourself. God, you have three-fifths of me, but the other two-fifths I'm kind of keeping on the side. Integrate says that you will become one with those principles until people can see you and see the principle. That's literally what we mean when we say I'm an epistle of the word of the spirit of God. What we're saying is, is that people who don't read the Bible can read our lives and know what the Bible says, because we are such we are one with those principles. People can count on you to be a certain way, even when it's to your detriment. They counted they counted on Daniel to break the law of the king and to pray when they put the law in place. They knew he was going to do it because they understood he was really a disciple of prayer. Hear the difference? They knew that they had to use something that they knew he wouldn't break, and they were counting on him to disobey to keep the word. All right? Okay, so that's that's discipleship. Now let's go to the five discipleship principles. And I'm going to try to get through um, this list today. Five discipleship principles. Number one, every disciple is a believer, but not every believer is a disciple. Two, it takes one to make one. If you're not a disciple, you can't, you can't make a disciple. All right? Three, we said discipleship requires preeminent commitment. We dealt with that one in detail last week. Principle living purposeful benevolence, and productive, effective action to be effective. Four, we said discipleship requires the disciple to pay it forward. In other words, if you are our disciple, God looks for the disciple to make disciples. And five, Jesus commits himself to stay with the discipling disciple. Because that's the great commission. He said, go make disciples. And lo, I'm with you always because you are discipling others as I have discipled you. So he's going to stay with you if you if you really commit to this process. I don't feel Jesus close to me. Then you may be because you're not discipling no other people as you've been discipled. Maybe you're not a disciple yourself and you haven't discipled others. But if you do both. Then Jesus is there because he said he would be. OK, and so we want to understand what that is now. Last week, we dealt with the fact that discipleship requires preeminent commitment, that we must love the king more than family and self and forsake all to follow the king, that the disciple has to have allegiance to the person, to the preaching and the principles of Jesus above his own life, above his own livelihood and above his own lifestyle. His life, if somebody threatened you through the, to the death, you're supposed to take the bullet for Jesus. Now. You can be in faith believing that a thousand fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand. I mean, you know, they may be shooting, but I'm going to be confessing every I'm hidden in the secret place scripture. <laughs> when I go into heaven, the first thing they're going to hear coming out of my mouth is I dwell in the secret place of the most high. I'm just saying, OK, you know, now if, if, if 
God chose for certain people to die certain ways. Don't shut me down when I'm preaching good. God signified to Peter the way he would die. Okay? Um, but until he tell me, I'm going to be telling him what I'm looking for. <laughs> but what I don't want to do is deny him. Even if it's, what if it's not life? What if it's just livelihood? What if you're a Christian business and then they want to shut you down like, you know, that anointed place Chick-fil-A because they have godly values with the good lemonade and the Chick-fil-A sauce. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm just saying you have to be willing to 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 acknowledge Jesus even when it costs your livelihood. Sometimes it's not your own livelihood like. They're not threatening to take your job, but they can, it can impact your lifestyle. Sometimes you could just go along to get along, and then God tells you to say stuff that he know going to cause you problems. And he say, say it anyway. I'm going to say this, Lord, and I know not everybody going to like it. Uh, do, you, do you trust me or your own lifestyle? All right. And so those were the things that we talked about last week. Now, let's talk about principled living. Principled living. Discipleship requires principled living. Let's look at John chapter 8, verse 29 through 36. John chapter 8, verse 29 through 36. Principled living. It's discipleship. This is Jesus speaking. If you had a red letter Bible, this would be in red. And he, Jesus, he the father who sent me, Jesus, is with me. The father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Verse 30. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. So there was a crowd, and in the crowd, he said the words, to some, faith came by hearing, and they believed in him. Not all of them, but many of them did. Verse 31, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, he, he was saying the words, everybody was hearing, but he was only talking to the believers. If you abide in my word... Say abide. Say abide again. If you abide in my words, you are my disciples indeed. Not every believer in the many were going to be disciples. So there was one selection between believers and unbelievers. Many passed the test. He said for those that passed the believer test, if you abide, in the King James, it's the word continue. If you continue, then you'll go on beyond just being a believer to being a disciple. Thus the statement, every disciple is a believer, but not every believer is a disciple. Now let's go on to verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now there's a lot of people who quote 32, but they skip 31. They skip the fact that you got to continue in truth for truth to make you free. You can know a lot of truth in your head and not be free of none of it. He's saying 
the disciple who continues is the one who will know by experience the truth and the truth that they've known and experienced over a length of time will be will make them free. Okay, look at verse 33. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. So he's talking about freedom from sin. So you can know truth that you're supposed to tithe, and then every when you get tight, I'm going to spend my time now and ask God. to. If you commit sin, you are a slave to that sin. You're not free yet. But you can't get the benefit. You can't be the slave and then get the benefits that the free people get. Just because you know where it is in the Bible. Verse 35. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Abides in the house of the, of the father. Abides in the father's Grace and abides in his benefit. You slave, you in and out. We fall down and get up. You falling in and out of the house. All right. Look at verse 36. Therefore, if the son makes you free, free through continuing in his word, not just make you free. I'm, I'm free. You know. I'm free to dance. I'm free to worship. Oh, listen, 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 listen. Those are good songs. But if you ain't continuing, you're just singing a good song. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Let's look at the Greek word. I have a definition there of, of abide. It's, it's the word meno. You see that in my list of, um, there you go. Keep going. Hallelujah. That's the only one. Okay. Take it off. All right. So um, the, the, definition, the definition of abide is the Greek word meno, M-E-N-O. It literally means to continue, to dwell, to endure, to stand, to tarry to make it your own. If you abide in the word, all right, the person, the disciple is the person who not only believes, but continually practices the, the, the principles that he believes in until those principles become one with his character, nature, and our automatic response. If you stay with that principle that long, then the benefit of that principle in that area, you become free. And Satan can no longer enslave you. All right. That's what we say when we mean principle living. It's, it's not enough for us to call this a discipleship moment if all I do is teach principles and you don't take the principles to live by. All right. And so what's supposed to happen is you believe the preaching enough to make a lifestyle change based on the word that you heard. All right. And then whenever you're challenged to backslide from that principle, you go back and look at the word again. Because sometimes you know how it is. You make a, a resolution in January and then midway through the month, 
you, you, oh man, am I going to stay with it? You're supposed to go back and go back to the word and let that word abide in you. And then you're supposed to see it again and then act on it again until it becomes automatic. A disciplined person is a person who obeys truth long after the thrill of initiation is gone and long before the freedom has manifested. It's in that middle zone that people become weary and well-doing. Once you hit the point that the freedom manifests, it has some momentum. Now you want to stay free. But in the middle time, before the freedom has manifested and after the thrill of starting is gone, it's in that middle time that people lose their principled living. And then they want to go backward, which takes them back to be a slave of the sin instead of the freedom that God has for them. And so what people want to do is they want to obey God, but have cheat days. You understand what a cheat day is? You have a diet and you say, okay, I'm going to do the diet all of these days, but this is my cheat day. In my cheat day, I'm going to undo all of the good that I just did. And so when you do that with God, then you just take yourself back to being a slave and you got to start all over again. And so it's really important that you stay with this thing. Now, when he, Jesus said this statement to them, their response to them to Jesus was, we can't be bound. We the seed of Abraham. Well, hold it. Galatians 3.29 says that you who um, believe in Jesus are Abraham's seed too. So if they could be bound with sin, even though they are Abraham's seed, you can too. And some people are at the believing stage, but they just flop up and down and they haven't moved on to the point where they continue and persevere to the point where they become disciples. So, th so they're believing, but they're still bound. They confess it and dancing and shouting, touch your neighbor three times, give them a high five and say, I'm, I'm rich. And they still broke. They're doing all of the motions. And then they shouting with the click track. And I'm not against all of those things. But those things won't make you free if you haven't done this. Because Jesus didn't say that singing and shouting three times and high-fiving your neighbor was going to make you free. If he did it, I would have high-fived my neighbors 30 times, 300, just to be sure. But that's not the way freedom comes. So make sure you're not setting aside the principle that God has given you so that you can um, you can practice whatever sin it is. Because that's whenever you do that, you're going to be get you're going to get ensnared. It's going to make you a slave. The devil will tell you, oh, you just got just do it just this once and then you'll get back on. Oh, I'm the only one. <laughs> OK. But I'm trying to move on to be the disciple because I want the freedom that's encamped in it. And I got to go through that difficult period to get to the freedom. It is through that difficulty, it is my perseverance that I come to really know what it means. Then it's not head knowledge, it's something I done walked out. And once I really know it and I know it like that, then you can't take it away from me.
Does that make sense? Okay. So that's what we mean when we mean principle living. Now, the third one in our list is purposeful benevolence. Purposeful benevolence is just another way of saying the love lifestyle. Purposeful benevolence is just a way of saying the love lifestyle. Look at John 13, 34, and 35. And it says, a new commandment I give to you that you may, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. The love of God is not a feeling. The love of God is a pattern of behaviors. When 1 Corinthians 13 describes love, it says nothing about how you feel. It says everything about how you behave. Because you may not feel like loving and can still love even when you don't feel like it. Feelings are fickle. And you're going to have to do right even when you feel wrong. The God kind of love is not a feeling. It's a pattern of behaviors centered around a principle. The principle is deliberate benevolence. Benevolence, um, you know, we talk about when, when people get in, get in trouble and churches help them, we call it benevolence. Benny means good. That's why when you get a job, you got benefits. Benny means good. Volo means will. Your volition is your will. When you volunteer, that means you willingly sign up to do something. Benevolence means to do goodwill to the person's benefit that the person doesn't deserve. God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. When we could not help ourselves, Christ died for the ungodly. God commended his love towards us. He purposefully did good for us when we could not do good for ourselves. All right? So the love of God is not a feeling. It's a pattern of behaviors centered around the principle of deliberate benevolence motivated by divine power. Because Romans 5 and 5 says it this way, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that's given to us. Got it? Now, he said that people would know that we as a kingdom community are disciples by the way we purposefully show love to one another. Okay? Now, some people want to love God in abstract, but don't want to love the church member next to them. Or they want to check out when it gets difficult. And often <laughs> we want to opt out of church because of church hurt, not recognizing that by opting out, we hurt the church. 
I am really preaching good today. Yeah, we want to opt out because this hurt me. Not recognize that we hurt the church by opting out. Okay. Or I, I, I hear people spend all their time blaming folks. Man, these folks in church is unloving. Hold it, hold it, hold it. The God kind of love don't wait for you to love me to love you. Not that we loved him. He first loved us. If it's the God kind of love, you don't wait for people to love you. You be the kind of love you want to receive. So sitting around saying, man, they, they, just, they just mean, they harsh, they unfriendly. Hold it. Proverbs 18, 24 says a man who has friends must show himself friendly. You want people to love you? Be loving. Proverbs eleven twenty five 25 says that the generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will himself also be watered. You want to be watered? Give somebody else some water. You want, you want to get love? Sow love. If you want to love harvest, sow some love seed. And if you're a disciple, you don't wait for the, you to get it back before you decide you're going to give it. And when it gets tough in church, you don't opt out. You don't check out. By this, they will know you're a disciple when you can stay in love when, even when it's difficult. Ephesians 6 and 8 tells us, knowing this, that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same, not from the people he did it to. He will receive the same from the Lord. So you don't love people waiting for people to love you. That's, that's, that's just swapping. That's a swap meet. He said you don't love them expecting them to give it back to you. Now they should, but that's between them and God. What you, you're not responsible on whether or not they gave it back to you. You're responsible. Did you give it to them? And so God wants us to have this kind of love. God is, is therefore asking you to reach beyond yourself and love others at his level, especially those of the household of faith. This kind of giving love is deliberate. It requires intentional planning, program, performance, and productivity and pursuit to create what I call weapons of mass construction. Yeah. God purposefully planned the armor of God is weapons of mass construction. He fought the devil to get his to get his his love to you. And he planned it. You got to be willing to plan to do people good. Now somebody do you wrong, your mind will plan how to get them back. Am I right about it? Has somebody ever said something to you and then after it was over, it slipped by you, but then you thought of all of the things you could have, would have, and should have said to them. I could have told them off like this. I could have said that. I could have did this. And sometimes you're in the moment and the Lord is telling you, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> He's telling you that's not heaven. Shut, <laughs> shut the H-E double hockey sticks up because you're letting hell speak through you. Okay?
And what is he saying? Your mind will go into plotting and planning. What he's saying is you should plot and plan to do good, not evil. Because that's what he did. This kind of love was so deep that in the original King James in 1 Corinthians 13, they called it charity. Because it just does good for other people's benefit, not for what you can get in return. It's doing good to people who can't pay you back. Okay, the God kind of love. All right, I'm out of time. Come on, let's stand.